round two. Well, <clears throat> open your Bibles again to Colossians chapter three. We're going to continue on from what we just where we just left off. Now, in the first section, we talked about the facade of abiding in Christ, the facade of legalism, the games that we play in the flesh with our faith. And what happens with our faith when we trust more on what we bring to Christ than on Christ himself, rather than what we receive from Christ when we first believe, when we live, when we abide in him. Let's talk about our friend John again. John from earlier, the spiritual giant who realized he was a Pharisee. By the way, he's a real person. He's someone that I counseled many years ago. This is pretty much his story. He realized that all of his efforts to be godly were done in his own strength. And his motivation was to feel good about his faith and be thought of highly of others and not to focus on his own relationship with Christ, not to focus on abiding in Christ, not to focus on who he was, his identity being in Christ. Now, John is floundering as a Christian. And he's scared of being a Pharisee. He's scared of trusting his own flesh. But he does not know how to function now in Christ as a genuine Christian. He is a believer, but he's struggling. He's struggling because he doesn't want to be a Pharisee anymore. He doesn't want to abide. I'm sorry, he doesn't want to rely on his flesh. He wants to rely on Christ. And he knows what he's supposed to do. But every time he starts walking in that path... He questions his motives to the point of idleness. Not only does he not know whether he has the right motives when he serves, he also doesn't know how to stop sinning without being a Pharisee about it. Am I relying on the flesh? Am I relying on Christ? He doesn't know if he's trusting in his own strength and not in the power that we have in Christ to put off the old ways and put on Christ, put on the ways of our new life in Christ. He wants to change, but he doesn't know how. And now, I have some bad news for for John. In talking to him, I realized, and even though he had acknowledged what he is, the way he was thinking, the way he was living was wrong, he was still a legalist. It's true, he's not trying anymore to rely on his own strengths to fight sin, to live the Christian life. But the problem is, he then stopped living. He then was so concerned with having the right motives, he just stopped. Almost like he was waiting for a zap from the Holy Spirit to continue on in his Christian walk. Why is he having such a hard time being a Christian? Because he's still not abiding, he's still not trusting or relying on the life we have in Christ. He's still waiting for him to do something. His focus is still on doing rather than being. On what he can offer rather than on Christ and Christ alone. And just walking in Christ. On doing the things of Christianity in his own strength rather than abiding in Christ. And through that relationship of living and drawing close to him and drawing on the strength and the nourishment that he has from the word. The nourishment he has from praying and relying on that relationship he has to be a Christian, he's still leaning on his own strength and 
not sure how to move forward because he's been doing it for so long. So now in Colossians 3, Paul has just admonished, corrected, and exhorted the Colossians. Colossae, again, to remind you, had a lot of Roman and Eastern philosophies in their midst, as well as Jewish um, traditions. There was, a, there was a presence within the culture of, of being accommodating to all sorts of, of groups. They were open-minded. And the church bought into that thinking. The church in Colossae loved to mix elements of their former religions and what was considered wise in their world into the church, and that created a lot of bad living, a lot of ineffective Christians. And the letter to the Colossians was what Paul wrote to, what God used through Paul to defend against any type of mixing up Christianity with any other form of religiosity, any other commands of this world. Even the ones that look and appear to be wise are foolishness. And he exhorted them to stop trying to be holy by worldly measures, by worldly standards, by worldly traditions. Rather, focus on living in and abiding in our Lord Jesus Christ. The main part of Paul's argument is that these Colossians did not understand who they once were as opposed to who they are now in Christ. And we're going to be looking at chapter 3 now. And no surprise, chapter 3 comes after chapter 1 and 2. And chapter 1 and 2 is Paul takes a stand against all the deviant theologies that they're struggling with, that he heard about in Colossae. And that section ends with that phrase we studied earlier, where he summarized all the tricks that they were trying to use to become more Christ-like, to become more holy and more mature in the name of Christ, without Christ. He said, look, bottom line, verse 23, 223, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All this work that you're putting into for this supposed mature Christian life that you have idealized, ultimately has no value, no value in actually making you more holy, in actually bringing you closer and drawing you closer to your Lord and Savior, in actually making you more effective in your Christian walk in this world to actually be mature in Christ. And Paul now develops the foundational teaching that answers the question, well then, what does, what, what does, stop, what does stop these indulgences of the flesh? What does stop this worldliness in my life? What does make me more Christ-like? What does make me mature in Christ? What does change me? What do I do now, now that I have been transformed in Christ from the world to being in Christ, being a Christian, now that I have this Christian life until I go home, how do I change? How do I grow? How do I transform? And the answer is that we walk in the Spirit. We abide in Christ. We live in Christ and for Christ. 
We put off the old ways of this earthly life and we put on the new self we have, the new identity we have in Christ alone in a life that is fit for and headed towards heaven where he is. So if you look with me in Colossians 3, he changes his tone. He says, if then, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when you also will appear with him in glory. This is how we think. Then verse 5, put off the old self. And then verse 12, put on the new self in Christ. So we're going to look through verses 1 to verse 17 And this passage gives us three questions to test whether we are, whether you are abiding in Christ. So let's look at the first point. Verses 1 to 4, which I just read. How do you think about yourself in Christ? How do you think of yourself in Christ? What is your identity? Are you dead or alive? It's really simple. Paul is saying in this passage, there's only two ways we can go here. You're either in Christ or you're not. You're either alive in Christ and dead to this world, or you're dead to Christ and alive in this world. There is no middle ground. According to Colossians 3 verse 1, we get a picture. He gets us off of this world. Verses chapters 1 and 2 is all about dealing with the, the, the trivialities and the, and the foolishnessness of this world, the worldly philosophies, and pulling away from that, pulling away from that, pulling away from it. And now he transitions in chapter 3, verse 1, put your mind on what is above and who we serve and who we live for. Where is Christ? He is the God of heaven. And if you have been raised with Christ, if you are alive with Christ, then seek the things that belong to him. The things that belong to him. Where is he? He's in heaven. He's not here. He's in heaven. Seek the things that belong to God. Our Lord. Heavenly living. Those things that honor him. Those things that bring him glory. Those things that he loves, you love. The way that we live as citizens of heaven, not citizens here. Where does Paul tell us to focus our attentions, our our attention, our mind? Look at verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on that that are on this earth. See, the problem, the problem that we keep falling into, The problem that we read in Colossians 2 earlier, the problem that Colossians are facing, the problem that my friend John is facing, the problem that we're all facing is that we live here and very easily 
we forget <laughs> that we're meant for heaven and we get focused on the things that are here. We focus our attention, our mind's attention on the things that are happening around us and the things that are calling for our attention, the philosophies of this world, the things, the, the troubles of this world, they, they swell up and we're overwhelmed and we focus our attention there, not on God, not on heaven, not on our Lord. And Paul's saying, look, have this mindset. Focus your mind's attention not on this world, but on the world to come. Not on the God of this world, but the King of heaven, our Lord. And his ways, and what brings him glory. And in that is also what he alludes to in verses 3 4, our future hope. Our future hope of his glory, of, his, of our glory in him, of our time with him, of our of our escape from this world and our promise of a future life in heaven with him, glorified and with him forever. The life that we are called to, the life God saves us from, the life we are now headed towards, the life that we're being transformed for each day, one day closer to the next, ultimately for that point where we return with him from glory. See, look at verses 3 and 4. For you have died. Remember who you are. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're, think about that. You are hidden. You're hiding. You're, God has put you in his innermost. Your life is hidden in God. You belong to him. You have unity with him. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, Paul is reminding us, how do you think about yourself? Are you thinking, I am a citizen of heaven. I have a king in heaven whom I serve. I have a relationship. I abide in him. I live for him. I love him. I am hidden in him. What are we waiting and hoping for? Him. Being united with him. In glory. And if that is our hope, if that is your hope, then that is going to have a direct change in how you live and how you think of yourself and this world now. How does that hope affect your thinking Think about Paul, how often he called out, I just can't wait you know, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. I live for Christ. My life is for Christ. But you know what? For me to die is gain because I get to be with him. Our life, our identity is with him. It impacts the way we think because it is our hope and the reason we do what we do every day. And Paul distinguishes those those who are of this world and those who are 
bound for heaven here. See, the people who are bound for somewhere else, not heaven, not glory, but destruction, hell, they are focused and enamored with the world. They are consumed with the way this world works. They live for this world. And Paul, remember in chapter 2, is saying, Why, Christian, are you acting like you still live for this world? Abiding by its principles and its rules. Stop! Change your attitude, your mindset, and focus on the things that are above. Because if you are focused on the things above, you will live differently. You will be drawn to a different purpose and a different reason for why you do what you do. And here in verses 1 to 4, he's saying, remember who you serve. Remember Christ. Remember your eternal state. You have been raised with Christ. You live in Christ. You're hidden in Christ. Your faith in Christ is the reason you do and are who you are. It's your identity. That is abiding by understanding that and living accordingly. Are you focused on Christ? Are you focused on Christ? So, in verses 1 to 4, we have our attention on who, how are we to think? Is your attitude, is your mindset on Christ and Christ alone? Is your identity in Christ and Christ alone? Is the purpose, if it is, then your purpose is, and that's the natural progression here. Okay, if that's the case, Christian, then your purposes and your life will be in accordance to that truth. I'm in Christ. I abide in Christ. I'm in Christ, so therefore I abide in Christ. Therefore I draw all my power, all my life, all my purposes, my reasons for why I do what I do in Christ. Not in the things of this world. Not in the things fit for destruction. Not in the things that pretend to be spiritual but aren't. No. I don't worry about the checklist. I worry about the relationship that I have. It's not about... It's not about the doing. It's about the being in Christ that I'm focused on. Being with my Savior. Living for my Savior. That is my focus. That is my attention. And that's our calling here. That's where Paul says, okay, look, if you are a Christian, brethren, put your mind on the right thing. And then he gives us, and this is... Many times in scripture, he, he puts, this is the put-off, put-on dynamic in verses 5 to 17. But this is the means. This is the, the way we live and change and transform in Christ. And so, first, he points, off, he points to putting off. Verses 5 to 11. He asks the question, are you killing the worldliness in your life? The remnants of this way, this way that you've been, this life that you've been saved from. 
He says, put your old self to death. Verses 5 to 7. Put to death, mortify, kill, murder. (laughs) Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Here's a list. A shameful list. Our list. Your list. The things that identify your heart. Put away the things in your heart that look like and are sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. An account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too, don't ever forget this, Christian, you too once walked when you were living in them. Paul is reminding us of who we were. He's reminding us, I think too often we forget, who you are without Christ. Who you are without Christ. That dead corpse that God saved you from. The ones that he just chastised, he just exhorted these Colossians, stop living like that. Stop obeying the world like you're still dead. Put to death, murder, mortify, kill. Actively pursue a pathway against this fleshliness, this earthly desire. All these things that come up against you, that tempt you, the callings when you watch TV, when you go to the mall, wherever you go, whatever it is, wherever it is that you are tempted, kill it actively. That, what that means is actively pursue a pathway away from it, to tra- be transformed away from it. These are the things Jesus, your Savior, Jesus died on the cross to exonerate you from, to free you from. He forgave you from these things so that you would not go to that place that we, we hate even thinking about. Hell. The wrath of God. Christian, you, we, we, we bask in the love of God. We can never fully understand that love in the same way we can never fully understand that wrath and that hatred that he saved us from. Put those things that put him on the cross that he bought you for put those things away that should have nothing to do with your life now if you are in Christ if you're thinking for him kill it why is it so important put the old self the ways of this world put that away
Why is it important to keep verse 7 in mind when we mortify our flesh and deal with the sins of others? Look at verse 7 again. In these you too were once walked when you were living in them. Too too often we become Christians for a little while and then forget that we too were just as bad, if not worse, than the world. I have a little verse in the back of my Bible from Jonathan Edwards that I constantly remind myself of. It's in his resolutions. I think it's resolution number eight. This young man, when he was 17, wrote this. Resolved to act in all respects, both speaking and doing, as if nobody had been so vile as I, and as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or findings as others, and that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of confessing my own sins and misery to God. See, it's the same mindset Paul had in 1 Timothy 1.15 when he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. This is something I should remember. This is something you should remember. We are sinners saved by grace. Remember that. Remember that when you deal with other people's sin. And remember that when you're dealing, when you're dealing with your own life, your own sin. He saved you. Put all that stuff away. Because you're hurting. The reason you put it away is because you're hurting the ones you love, first God and those around you. Look at verse 8 and 11, 8 to 11. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, these are all the heart motivations that lead to the sin that was described earlier. But now put them all away, the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, and the obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not a Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Who is Paul addressing in these passages, in these verses? All Christians, all people who name the name of Christ. And how are we to treat one another? Not according to this world. Not according to the fruit of the flesh that hates and tears and lies to one another. In verse 9, he reminded them, you must put off the old self with its practices. Put off the way that you were saved from. You were saved from that old self. You were saved from a life of hate and anger and lying. You were saved from a life that was fit for God's wrath. A life that tore one another apart. That manifested just flesh. Put it away. It has nothing to do with someone who has the mindset that's focused on Christ. Someone who is obeying and honoring the God of heaven as a citizen of heaven. And look at how we're being renewed in verse 10. Having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, God's word, the knowledge of God. The image of its creator. 
Why does Paul point out our sinful state before we are in Christ? Before he reminds them of this. I was preaching once at a, um, at a kind of halfway house, and somebody got really, some people got really mad at me. Why are you always preaching, Pastor, about how we're sinners and going to hell? Because I got to tell you where you're going. I got to tell you who we are without Christ before I can tell you the glories of Christ. We have to accept what we have been saved from and who we are without Christ before we can truly appreciate and understand what we have in Christ. Our relationship in Christ means so much more because we understand who we are before a holy God. See, humility is not having a low view of yourself. It's having a right view of yourself. And when we come to God, we realize there is no place for us. There's nothing we can offer. Everything is wrong before a holy God. And when we acknowledge that, we realize we have to put off the old and all the things that were corrupt so that we can put on the things of the Lord. That's our purpose. And the purpose here is in building up the body. The purpose here is in bringing our identity not to the individual, but to the body. Here, there is not a Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You guys are saved and are being transformed, and you are called, you are called to love one another as I have loved you. You are to be identified as people of the book, people who are known for the love that you have for one another. So stop hurting one another. Stop tearing one another down by living according to the flesh. Give me glory. Put off the old self. That's why he's pointing to their identity. That's why he's pointing to the way, the way that you honor me is the way that is going to be identified by the way you treat one another. It's the first and second greatest commandments. Love me, and because you love me, the reason Jesus, every time somebody asks him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, here's the first and the second, because you need to understand. You can't do the first without doing the second. You can't do the second without doing the first. You can't love God with everything you have without showing that love with your neighbor, with others. And so if you have put your focus and your identity in God, and God alone, in your Savior, you're going to put to death the things that give him no glory, and that's going to impact everyone around you. Stop hurting one another. Put off the old self. And rather, verses 12 to 17, put on the new. Are you living with the purpose of God in your life? Are you living with the purposes of Christ in Christ, in your life. We, have a, we are sanctified for the purpose of blessing the church. We are sanctified for the purpose of being a benefit and a blessing to one another, to the world, to be light in this dark world. For God's glory. Look at verse 12. Put on then, 
as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Things that can't be quantified. Checklist, I've been patient enough today. Bearing with one another. Have you bared enough today with one another? You might have bared enough with me, but I mean, what about each other? How how do you quantify that? You can't. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, this guy preaches too long, forgiving each other, thank you, forgiving each other as the Lord. Just to remember, how am I going to forgive one another? Just remember what you have been forgiven from. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You see, we're the sanctified for the purpose of blessing the church, of blessing those around us, of being a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be light, to be known as God's people. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, the problem with my friend John that I talked about earlier, he so doesn't want to be a Pharisee, but he, his focus is still on him. He's not concerned about those around him. He's not concerned about God's glory. He's still trying to prove something to himself. And even though he he's, he's learned from, from the previous talk, he's learned that he can't have a checklist mindset He's now inactive and unable to really serve God because he's so worried that he's going to be a Pharisee. And the reality is his focus is still on him. And the reality is, what Paul is saying here, stop focusing on anything but Christ and Christ alone. And if you do that, then there's going to be a repercussion. There's going to be an effect in your life. You're going to put off the things that give God no glory, which is how you act and treat one another. And you're going to put on something new. You're going to put on something that's going to give him glory. Something that's going to change. You're going to put on love, which binds everything. Peace. You're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And let me ask you, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all, all those things I keep saying, who benefits from that? Who benefits from fruit? If I'm a fruit tree... Does a fruit tree eat its own fruit? No. You, you bear fruit so that you can give to others. So other people benefit from it. The Lord has made us fruit trees, lack of a better analogy, so that we can be a benefit to one another. He's, the charge here is focus on Christ, and in your focus of Christ for his glory, you will change and be transformed. Your focus will be not, how can I be a better Christian? Your focus will be, how Because I love my Lord and I have a relationship with my Lord, how can I help others love him? What what can I do to help this person love Christ more? 
That is a life. That is a heart that has put off the ways of this world and put on the love of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. The word put on here means literally put on, like putting on a sweater. Put on then as God's chosen instruments, the chosen ones, a holy life. Compassion, kindness, humility. Put these things on for the purposes of his glory manifested in your relationships with one another. Let us be one with him as we are one together. Unity. Why is love considered the greatest virtue to put on? Because it so identifies who he is. It's a love that it doesn't belong to this world. Paul wanted them to remind, wanted to remind them of what God has done for them, what Christ has done for them, so that they would be thankful, appreciative, provoked to do the same to others. We are sanctified by the word so that we may encourage others. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Don't have a 30-minute Bible study each day and then not think about it again throughout the rest of the day. Good on you. You studied, but you didn't apply it. You didn't meditate. You, didn't, you weren't impacted by it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 24-7 teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom because you're so enamored with the word of God. You can't stop talking about the word of God. It's natural. It's part of your conversation. It's part of your identity. It's how you think, whether lying or sleeping, walking walking or, or sitting down. The word of God manifests on your lips and in your conversation. teaching and admonishing one with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the heart of a worshiper. You put on the heart of a worshiper that manifests in the way you talk, think, pray, sing. You're sanctified. You're being sanctified by the Bible impacting every thought of your mind, of your life. Think about the high priestly prayer where the Lord says, Sanctify them, Lord, his Father. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And last, lastly, last point, we are sanctified to be a blessing to God in all that we do. Verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What is the ultimate purpose of your sanctification? God's glory. God's glory. Praising him, 
being thankful for the life that you have. You have no ability to put this on without him. You have no ability to change and be transformed. The same power. This is, and this, I was just talking to somebody this, um, during the break about this. What's more amazing to bring, to transform a dead person to be alive or to transform someone who is characterized as a dead person in this world to be living according to the way of this world or to bring somebody from this world, a redeemed Christian, to the perfect state and glory. See, our, our justification, becoming alive in Christ, our sanctification, growing in Christ, and our ultimate privilege of being glorified in Christ All three of these aspects of our salvation all require a supernatural work from a living God, a holy and living God. There's nothing more amazing than becoming a Christian, growing in Christ. It still requires a supernatural work. We're so easily ready to rely on our flesh and give God and strip God of his glory. Paul's saying, stop doing that. He gets all the glory. Walk in his ways. Abide in his truth. Have the motivation that you need for his glory alone and be thankful for it. And the same power will transform you in this life and ultimately transform you in glory in heaven where we're going, where he started us in verses 1 to 4. Our permanent state of glory in heaven the man, the, the man God that we serve, who lives and belongs and owns heaven. That's why we are so thankful for the sanctification, the change that we can have in Christ. Because it's only in Christ. It's only in Christ as we live in his life that he gives us, abiding in his truth, in the spirit, in all that we have in this life that we can be thankful for and we be transformed for, for the benefit of those around us, ultimately for his glory, that we have the ability now in Christ to praise him because of who he is and what he's done. Eventually, when Jesus comes back, we will appear with him perfectly sinless and we'll no longer have to fight against the old self that we fight with now, that gives him glory now to fight with. It's another topic. We'll no longer have to fight that fight. We'll be perfect, redeemed, glorified. And until then, we still fight the good fight and persevere in him and through him by the strength that he gives us alone, in Christ alone. Never trying to mix up anything else, any other fleshly reliance to cheapen that grace. And the only way this is going to happen is if we have a heavenly perspective of our life in Christ, being Godward, and actively kill the sin that we see in our life, the things that are creeping up in, the tendencies that we have, not only in sinning when temptation arises, but also continually to build up Ourself in Christ to shore up the weaknesses in our life. And keep in mind that we are still on earth for his purposes. And 
the more we are like him, the more glory we can bring to him. The more we transform and put on the new self, the more impact we can have for him, for his glory, to be light. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this life that you have given us through your Son. We thank you, Lord, that you have not simply saved us and walked away from us. We're not just waiting to go home to glory, but, Lord, our eternity, our eternal life, our life with Christ begins the moment we first believe. Lord, this is a taste of heaven to live life with you now. Lord, I pray that each one of us who know you, who love you, will honor you by not relying on anything other than you. The spirit and the word that you give us, the work of your son who redeems us. Lord, as Paul says, we are hidden in Christ. And I pray, Lord, as we're hidden in you, Lord, that we, we would not see ourselves. We would not think of ourselves. We would not rely on ourselves. But let us each, in our own lives, in our own families, in our own ways, focus our lives to be purposeful, purposely used for your glory, putting on the things that give you glory so that we may be a benefit for those around us. They may see Christ in us. And Lord, that you may get all the glory. Pray this in your holy name. Amen.